Woo, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here for, well, what's going to be, what's going to end up getting released as the last episode of July for the Sovereign Tech patrons. And this is an episode that I promised. Uh, for some people, it might not be the most exciting thing. For other people, you know, I'm, you might be very interested in it. Uh, because I know I have a lot of fans out there that are fans of Voltron Legendary Defender. And we recently had Season 7 come out. I guess maybe that was early June when, or I'm sorry, season six, season six came out in early June and uh, I've yet to review it, but we're going to get to that review now. And also I will review the new Godzilla movie, which also came out. Both of these are Netflix properties, uh, even though Godzilla, it's called Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle or Godzilla Part Two City on the Edge of Battle, which is a sequel to uh, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters that came out uh, last year. Okay, and and it's fully CGI animated affair. Uh, you know, it's it's a little different flavor than what Toho usually does as far as uh, kaiju films. Not that Godzilla is anything new to animation, but it's kind of a newer thing. And uh, you know, this is the sequel to that. Ironically, when we reviewed season five of Ultron: Legendary Defender, we also reviewed Godzilla: uh, Planet of the Monsters at the same time. So it's kind of fitting that we're going to get this. Um, I will say that season seven of Voltron, we're going to review both of these here, but when season seven of Voltron comes out, that's actually coming out in just a few days as this gets released. Uh, August 10th will be the release date for season seven of Voltron, and I will do a review of that then. I will also do a review of the Legendary Defender comic books. Uh, which I think are considered canon as best as I could tell. And that's been a very enjoyable series uh, that they're in their third volume of now. So I will do that as an additional review when I do the review of Ultron Legendary Defender Season 7 once that comes out August 10th. And I should watch that in pretty short order. And that review will be done in August. Um, now, I want to start off talking about Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle here. This is part of a trilogy of movies. Again, the first one was Planet of the Monsters, and there's a third one that's going to be released later this year. Now, I don't know. I, I actually don't know the release date of the third one in America because City on the Edge of Battle came out in May, and that got a full theatrical release. I don't even think that was just a Netflix thing. That got a full theatrical release in, um, in May in Japan. Okay, as to where Netflix only got it for the rest of the world uh, in July, July 18th was actually the release date for that. Um, so it just came out really just a few days ago. Um, I so Planet of the Monsters, I gave a, a pretty glowing review. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty wild, very dark stuff, very, very interesting ideas. And one of the interesting ideas with uh, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. So just a, a quick recap. We're talking about, you know, humans. Godzilla ends up becoming a thing. It starts wrecking the entire planet Earth and humans encounter two other alien species during this time frame when Godzilla is on its path of destruction, which happens over years. And both of these alien species try to save uh, or claim that they can save the humans. But what ends up happening is, is Godzilla ends up wiping out every or, you know, defeating even the alien species with their advanced technology Uh and when you know when they do that, everybody, the humans and the two alien species, uh, what is it? The the, the Bailu Saludo is one of them, and then there's the other one that uh, the character Metfi, uh, Metfis belongs to. They just run off. Okay. Now the cool thing is, so this is this ends up on Earth being like ten thousand, twenty thousand years between ten to twenty thousand years later. Reason for that is they do this really, really cool 
scientific explanation, which fits with, you know, the theory of relativity that, you know, they they traveled at such a fast speed that going back to Earth would actually be the future of Earth. Okay, and so Godzilla has had all this time to evolve or perhaps there's more of them, which we know there are uh, because of this movie. Spoiler alerts. Ahoy, by the way. Okay, (laughs) I mean, just, you know, I'm not even going to bother saying that again. Um, but I mean, you know, these movies, these Godzilla movies are kind of by the numbers in that you can sort of anticipate what's going to happen, but it's still cool to see it actually happen. Okay. So spoiling, I don't know. I don't know how much you can really spoil that sort of thing regardless. So this is effectively like 20,000 some odd years in the future that these take place, even though it's dealing with humans that say, you know, remember when Earth had normal cities, etc., even though it's now 20,000 years later on Earth. Uh, it's a really unique idea. And this whole series so far with both films in the trilogy, uh, again, the third film to come, and I'll review that when it comes out, uh, has paid a lot of attention to some pretty heady science. And I've enjoyed that. I think that that's I think that's really cool um, that they've they've been so uh you know, tried tried to be so like hard science with it, hard science fiction, as it were, uh, which is unique for anime in general, but certainly I think a little more unique as far as Godzilla goes, because usually they just come up with whatever ridiculous thing that they want, and uh, and then you know they have Godzilla fight it, and kind of that's the end of it. Okay, so this is this is a very different take on Godzilla, and of course Godzilla is you know there's more than one we know that but also like it's just massive you know but the scientific explanations around everything that's going on on earth 20,000 years later uh, is pretty cool and in fact one of the main kind of the main plot point of this one um, and we sort of I think we have a pretty good idea of what the third one is going to be about in fact I think it might even be a part of the title well one part of it the title has very rough translations as far as what the third one's going to be but I think in the third one there's a couple things or one thing I know we're going to end up with but I think what we're going to really see and I think what a lot of people were hoping would be in this one I certainly was is probably my favorite you know character within the Godzilla canon which is I mean not that this is part of like a broader Toho canon this is kind of a self-contained series its own take on Godzilla that I really enjoy Um, but I wanted to really see Mecha Godzilla in this and that didn't happen but you do get the evolution in a way of Mecha Godzilla. I think Mecha Godzilla is going to make an appearance in the third film in this series, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you who else is going to is going to make an appearance. But we'll save that for a little bit. Um, but that's that's what I'm hoping for is that we do get Mecha Godzilla. Now in this series, like you find out that humans did build Mecha Godzilla twenty thousand years previous to try and stop Godzilla, and they come up with this technology called nanometal. Which this is a really, you know, again, it's that hard science fiction edge that this series has had so far that I thought was really cool and a really brilliant and, and kind of rare take on things. And that is this nanometal learns. OK, that's how they ended up, you know, making Mecha Godzilla and how it was at least somewhat viable to take on Godzilla. OK, this nanometal learns and it not only learns like it can it can change and evolve. And it has just as Godzilla has evolved over 20,000 years. The nanometal evolved as well. And I mean, and and it's such a wild little idea. So they encounter these two. um, Well, they encounter more than two, but they encounter a species of human or at least it seems human that's still been around uh, or that's been around on Earth for that 20,000 years. They're kind of like survivors. Now, you you get hints that because there's like a, 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 a there's these two twin girls 
that you're really talking about Mothra. In fact, there's a point where one of the scientists, one of the human scientists says, um, you know, from the space expedition says uh, they, they seem to have like almost insect DNA attached to them. So they're definitely pointing at the twins, the very famous twins within the Godzilla universe, uh, you know, that that always sing for, you know, Mothra, right. That sing for Mothra to appear. So you're getting that. Um, and I and I, I think, you know, that, that's that's totally cool. Uh, you, you know what the hell? So I imagine in the third one, we're also going to get Mothra. That's not the other person I wanted to mention to you. Well, I'll tell you who the, the other is. But anyway, so you're going to end up with Mothra. Um, I think in the, in the next movie and, and they're really hinting at that. And, and this is a very unique take on how you end up with all these different monsters and how they ended up kind of becoming a thing. Um, so anyway, so they encounter that and the, these, these humans like insect human hybrids, even though they more or less look human, uh, they found nanometal around, and this is how they f- discovered to go looking around for, or this is how the humans that, that you know, came down from their ships to try and take the earth back, uh, take the earth back from Godzilla in the first movie. They find, um, you know, this is how they end up like saying, okay, well, we got to find the nanometal. There's obviously some around. Maybe we can find Mecha Godzilla and we can do the business. You know, we can take on Godzilla again. And the nanometal they have is like they use it as arrowheads. You know, this, this, this tribe of survivors use it as arrowheads. And the arrowheads are so deadly, like that maybe they can even pierce, uh, you know, Godzilla himself. And they end up making a harpoon later to try and do it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, obviously, well, in case you didn't know, this movie ends with they do not defeat Godzilla. That's why we're going to get a third one. I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have a third one if they actually defeat the, you know, the, the big bad, the big bad Godzilla, as it were. Because in the first one, you had a smaller Godzilla. And now, you know, we, we have an even larger one that we're dealing with, which we knew this movie would be about. So anyway, so they go looking for, okay, let's see if we can find Mechagodzilla. Let's see if we can find more of this nanometal. And what they do is, is they go to, they, they find a city that, and this is amazing, that literally evolved from the nanometal out of Mechagodzilla. So Mechagodzilla all this time had been evolving, okay, to where, you know, like it was, it was completing its directives, which is how can we defeat you know, Godzilla. And so it actually evolved an entire city out of itself, out of the nanometal and kept growing and built certain base defenses to try and defeat uh, Godzilla and everything. And this movie is all about them, you know, kind of going with that. Now, here's the thing. It was a beautiful idea. Like, I love this idea of metal evolving and, you know, kind of having a mind of its own and all that. Like, what a brilliant take on such a great character of Mecha Godzilla. But what a great idea in general for science fiction. I never really thought about it. You know, it's kind of like a living metal idea. It's not organic, but it's still like a living concept of metal. And I, I don't know why that something like that never really clicked for me. And I don't recall much science fiction where that was really a thing, not at this scale. And not it was a brilliant idea. Like, when they find the city, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Now, the problem is... Godzilla ends up raising this the city like ends up you know I mean like burning it melting it to the ground now that's probably how they're going to end up really finding Mechagodzilla and Mechagodzilla can come back okay because you know you melt metal what happens and I don't know maybe Mechagodzilla will be more powerful because it has all the nanometal the entire city wrapping it this time around that's just a guess on my part we don't know what's going to happen really in the third one here um, but I thought that was a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I just, I never thought about that. Like this, this idea of, of evolving of, you know, metal evolution. Okay. Uh, and, and, and just well done again, this is where like kind of the hard science take that they've been doing with these Godzilla movies has really been, it's refreshing from not just a Godzilla standpoint, but an entertainment standpoint in general, but from a Godzilla standpoint, this is genius. 
You know, I, I, I really, really think it's genius. So anyway, this big plan to use the defense of the city and everything, um, you know, ends up not working. Uh, and, but they really try. And in fact, there's the uh, one of the 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 two alien species, uh, particularly this one that what is it the the Bilosalado or whatever or the Bilosalado or Bilosaludo that's what they are the Bilosaludo uh, the Bilosaludo they you find out for them and this is where this is the other nice thing so we got great hard science fiction but then there's also a message in this movie like there's there's a moral story here which I thought was you know it's very rare in television and movies these days and other than oh have hope oh unite blah 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 which is just horseshit uh, but th- this is a nice touch so the the Bilo Saludo you find out that they want to become you know their planet was destroyed by monsters and they want to become monsters and so they actually meld with the nanometal and they voluntarily do this. They, they meld with the nanometal that makes up um, Mechagodzilla and the, you know, the Mechagodzilla city or what they do call Mechagodzilla city. And to do so, they, they, you know, the idea is, is that they actually make the city more powerful and give it more of its abilities because, you know, you're melding, you're melding the, the, the consciousness and organics and everything with, with the nanometal. Um, but eventually it gets to a point where the Bilo Saludo like aren't voluntary about it anymore. And they try to take the main character from the first film, uh, Haruo, who survives throughout this whole thing and tries. They try to meld him with it because they think that he's really the key because he was so brilliant to figure out how to kill the first Godzilla in the first movie. Um, and then they they start to take over uh, uh, his girl, you know, Haruo's girlfriend, Yoko, uh, Yuko, and you know that obviously Haro kind of freaks out about this but when he starts to do that like when they when he first finds out that the Bilo Saludo are melding with Mechagodzilla City at first it's a very peaceful thing and like I say it's voluntary but Haro gives this great impassioned speech about look we're not insects because that's how they compare it's like well this is how insects become more powerful blah 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 he's like we're not insects we're not machines we're not computers this it doesn't work that way you know us melding with it is not the solution and all that and man, I thought that was a great message, something I've really been feeling because, you know, again, I don't agree with a lot of the transhumanist ideas in future. I mean, people can have that if they want it, but I'm not, you know, really the biggest fan of it. And I'm not ready to upload my brain to anything. OK, I want biological solutions to this more than I want cybernetic or, uh, you know, or full on transhuman. So but but it was awesome to get that message of and, and to hear it said in entertainment, we are not computers because so often we get compared you know, like a lot of people say, well, you know, they use the analogy for something happening with the human body. They use the analogy of a car, you know, of, of fixing a car or they use the analogy of a computer or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, proof by analogy isn't proof. And look, we're not those things. You know, we're incredibly complex and we hardly understand ourselves, how our own brains work or how consciousness works. I should say we have an idea of how brains work, you know, how neurons transmit, et cetera. But we have a hard enough time figuring out how consciousness works. You know, so we sure as fuck don't need to be melding it with nanometal to know what the hell happens then. Uh, so I thought that that was a really cool moral message, as it were, to put out there, um, you know, and, and just to hammer that point home. We're not insects. We're not computers. We're not machines. Fucking right. Man, you don't hear that enough. When, and, and, you know, the, the Bilo Saludo make a great or they make a interesting case great within the context of the story of why you want to meld with it. You know, this is your, your fight. You know, why would you stop evolution and all that? And that that's another nice little theme that exists within this series is because you have the, uh, the species that Metfees belongs to. I can't think of the name of it right now. 
which is very religious. And they're all about, you know, God has this plan when you see the, the, the gate of God and all this stuff. And then you have the Bilo Saluto who are very much about like, like uber scientists. And I guess maybe the claim would be is that the humans are somewhere in between where they're kind of scientific and spiritual at the same time. Um, the Bilo Saluto, the, the funny thing is, is that you find out they treat, and this is a point we've brought up many times on Sovereign Tech as well, they more or less treat evolution as God. And this is my claim, is that, look, you, you got to be careful when you start arguing from the point of evolution. In fact, we talked about this on a recent episode of Sovereign Tech, um, I think it was episode 287, where I said, you know, be careful with how you treat evolution and saying, well, this is how we evolve, so we should just kind of, you know, stick to that or something. You don't have to do that. And the Bilo Saluto are kind of the point of that, where, you know, you want to... Like the claim is in 20,000 years within the movie, the earth had formed to a point where it was designed to support only one species, that being Godzilla itself. Okay. And so you want to evolve to that higher level. You want to become a monster. Now, me, you know, on a workout standpoint, I'm all about becoming the monster and everything. But like they're saying, no, this is this is the only path to go to. Evolution says so, blah, blah, blah. I mean, give me a break. You know, there's you, the Bilo Saluto are a great representation of taking the idea of you should obey evolution too far. That's the point. Okay, I mean, some of the some of the verbiage and terms that they use, I kind of liked, but but they they really drive the point home um, where, you know, like that's how you can treat evolution can be as much or like, you know, sticking to the concept of evolution, meaning that, well, we should only respect how we evolved and blah, 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 and try not to evolve beyond that uh, artificially, perhaps that that argument can be treated as much as a God can be just as religious as anybody claiming, you know, supernaturalism with their religion. So I thought that that was a nice dichotomy to have within the movie and, and a lot brainier, a lot smarter than that, than this movie needed to be, you know, to, to bring all of that stuff up. Uh, so I, I really like that. Now, uh, the movie ends, of course, uh, what we as far as we can tell, Mecha Godzilla City ends up getting destroyed by Godzilla. Godzilla is still very much alive. Um, and uh, Yuko appears to have died, appears to have died. Uh, Hauro is still alive. Some of the other humans and Metfis, they're alive. Um, there is a post-credit sequence, but I mean, it ends more or less with Hauro holding Yuko and just saying, no, no, you know, screaming out, whatever. Uh, there is a scene earlier in the movie that ends up getting a little bit of a replay, but with better explanation in a post-credit sequence. And, this, and the point is, Metfis is describing how the Bilo Saluto, they want to become monsters. He warns Hauro that that's what's going on, and then Hauro finds out, yeah, that's absolutely what they want. But he says, now our planet was destroyed. You know, he said, Metfis says his planet was destroyed by a monster as well. In fact, a monster so powerful that Godzilla wouldn't even be a concern. And he says, we're very careful to name it. We don't say the name because certain names have a lot of power when spoken. And that was that was really interesting because that kind of reminded me of again, this is another point where this movie seemed was I felt a lot smarter than it needed to be, because that reminds me of the concept of the uh, tetragrammaton, okay, in in Judaism, okay, which and kind of within Christianity as well. But the tetragrammaton, which is why, uh, you know, YHWH, okay, which generally gets called Yahweh. The claim is, is that, you know, you only wrote it as uh, YHWH and you didn't put the vowels in because if you spoke the name of God, okay, which is kind of like what Metfuse is bringing up in, in, uh, you know, in this in the second Godzilla movie here that things would happen, you know, like, in fact, in, in, in what's called Midrash, which is like Jewish folklore, you have the story of um, 
of Lilith. And there's a point where she says the name of God. And then, yeah, shit starts happening like like, you know, seismic shit starts happening. So priests felt that if you said the name, that it was a powerful act and powerful things would happen. So this felt very much like the Tetragrammaton. Okay. And I, because of that, I kind of wonder. So now historically for me in real world history, not within Godzilla part two here. Okay. Within real world history, I don't think Yahweh is the actual pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton. Um, I'm not saying that I think something would actually happen if you actually knew the name of the Hebrew God or something. All right. But I don't think Yahweh is it. I really think we don't. And there's other people who say, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. I don't think anybody knows what the fuck it is. All right. I really don't. Um, Or at least nobody that says they know knows. You know, if somebody out there knows, well, they're not telling anybody and they're not saying it. Maybe they're afraid to say it. I'm not saying anything supernatural would happen. This is just my little feeling on it. I've had I've thought this way for a very, very long time that nobody really has any idea. I mean, this is the reason that, like, you know, you got to understand in Judaism, you, you don't even write down the name God. In fact, if you're at a really like Orthodox Judaism, say, site, or you're reading an Orthodox uh, a book, perhaps even written by an Orthodox Jew, uh, the only word they're careful, they're, they're, they're comfortable saying with God is they'll say Hashem. Um, when, even when they write God in English, they'll put, it'll, they won't write G-O-D, they'll write G-D. Okay, because they're so afraid to write down even like a reference so much to God, except for Hashem. Hashem's the word that, that they kind of, they're a little more willing to run with. Okay, um, but bottom line being like in Judaism, it's a very serious thing to say the name of God. And Metfis and his, his race, the alien race that he belongs to, you know, was kind of playing on that idea. And I thought that that was really slick and really a really cool idea to run with. Um, now, what's interesting is, is that in the post credit sequence, you find out because he whispers the name of this monster that is more powerful than Godzilla. Uh, he whispers it to Haro in the middle of the movie, but you don't know what it is until the post credit sequence. And what Metfis tells Haro is that the name of the monster is, and this is how he pronounces it. And I think there might be a trick to this. He pronounces it as Ghidorah. Okay. Now, here's the funny thing. So, again, I've been a kaiju film fan for a very long time. Now, the usual pronunciation, like I know, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I said King Ghidorah too, right? But I learned later on that really the pronunciation should be Ghidra, okay? And that's, or you know, or maybe Ghidra, you know, something like that, like they would say it. But there's a few different ways that, that Ghidra has been said. Ghidorah being one of them, but I've never really heard Ghidorah like officially. Well, I mean, I, I maybe maybe in some Americanized version of it, I'd heard it said that way or something. But in general, I've never really heard it recognized so much by Toho themselves, which this. So I'm I, a part of me wonders if Metfis said it wrong on purpose. So that way, when Hauro ever does happen to say it. Um, it doesn't create the effect that he wants because probably they're probably treating it like the Tetragrammaton, where if you say the name out loud, Ghidra might appear or, you know, Ghidorah in this case. Um, but I mean, that's just speculation on my part that they might be playing with. Um, they, you know, they, they might be playing with with the idea, like a concept like the Tetragrammaton, where Yahweh is wrong. In this case, Ghidorah is wrong and it should be said Ghidra or something and that they'll, you know, somehow they'll make that they'll work that in. I don't know, but this is such a smart film trilogy uh, that I wouldn't be surprised if that did happen. So I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, I give this movie, you know, if I'm going to give it a, a number ranking out of 10, um, I'm easily going to give it 
I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was better than the first one. Of course, it doesn't make sense without the first one. Um, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was a really, really, I mean, it's a beautiful film. The animation's stunning. Music's, the music's really, really, really phenomenal. Like, I want the soundtracks for these movies. Uh, the music is just some great electronica and some other stuff and some really clever cues to introduce various characters and Godzilla itself and so on. Um, just, just smart. It's a smart, smart movie trilogy so far. So I'm going to give this an eight out of 10. I mean, I, I just, I loved it. And I thought there was some brilliant stuff laid down. There was actual ideology, not just superstition or religion or something like that, but like real ideology that had something to do with the human condition in it, which I just, I find to be so rare in fiction, in entertainment in general. Uh, so I, I was, I was really pleased with that. I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, so yeah, I got it, got to give it an eight out of 10. I, and I can't wait for part three, part three, uh, you know, especially if we finally get Mecha Godzilla, that's what I want. We're going to see, you know, so again, so we're probably going to see, we're going to see Godzilla. We're going to see Mecha Godzilla, I think. And we're definitely going to see, um, we're definitely going to see Mothra and we're almost certainly going to see Ghidorah or Ghidra, uh, you know, in the next one. And who knows what else? So I'm digging it. Uh, Netflix is I mean, Toho made this. It wasn't really a Netflix production, but Netflix providing it around the world knocked it out of the park. Uh, nice work and more nice work by Netflix. In fact, I've claimed that this is just one of the best television series bar none or one of the best series. I mean, what does television mean anymore? I guess it just means it's not in theaters, but one of the best series bar none animated or otherwise that's out there is Netflix's and this they are producing. I mean, DreamWorks is kind of the production team behind it, but Netflix is the the money man as far as I can tell. Uh, that being Voltron Legendary Defender. Uh, now, amazingly, we are in season six already. Of course, they've They've trimmed down the seasons quite a bit. Um, this show started uh, in 20, 2016, and now we're to the point where we're only getting like 12 or so episodes, uh, if that even, or not even 12. Let's see. This one had, right, not 12. This is like a seven. Yeah, they cut it in half. Originally, we were getting like 12 to 13. Now we're getting six or seven per season, uh, which in my opinion is fine. Uh, like, I, I have no problem with this. And in fact, I, we've talked about it when I've reviewed Voltron Legendary Defender in the past, that to really keep it fresh in people's minds, um, they have to split up the seasons if, if they want to still allow people to binge watch their shows, which is one of, you know, widely considered one of the advantages of, you know, of, of Netflix you're going to have to split up the seasons, much like Amazon Prime did with The Tick, uh, you know, and so on. Um, so they've been they kind of started this trend with Voltron Legendary Defender, in my opinion, because it has been such a runaway hit for them. And rightfully so. I mean, every season has really been I mean, there's some that are better than others, but every season's been really rock solid, uh, in my opinion. There's points where you can feel like it's a half season, but then there's points where, no, that felt like a complete cohesive story that I could binge watch and really watch with it within a couple hours because they're only 20, 23 minute episodes, uh, depending upon the one. And season six in particular, we pick up right off from where season five ended, which ended with quite the cliffhanger. OK, where, you know, all the lions are kind of down and everything. I mean, you know, you're just you're in really rough shape. And I complained about that with season five saying, look, could we finally could we get a season where it sort of ends, you know, and we don't have to have so much of the cliffhanger? Well, season six, two points for it with Voltron Legendary Defender uh, season six. One is that it doesn't really leave us with a cliffhanger. I mean, there's room for things to to return, but it's not really a cliffhanger. And um, you know, also this felt like one cohesive story that they were telling. 
Um, th- this felt, you know, everything they, they, they wrap stuff up really nicely. Now we already know, as I mentioned earlier in this, in this review episode, we already know that we're going to get season seven and it's coming up fast. It's coming, it's airing or it's start August 10th. You're going to be able to watch season seven. We also know that we're going to get a season eight. Okay. We don't know when that's going to come out, but we know that we're going to get a season eight. Probably, unfortunately, season seven is going to end off with a cliffhanger, but I'm glad season six ended with, okay, you know, we've, we've taken care of, uh, you know, Prince Lotor and blah, blah, blah. And well, spoiler alerts, folks. But anyway, you get a lot of that, like the whole Lotor um, and and Princess Aurora or Prince Lotor and Princess Aurora kind of love storyline that that happens within this. I'm amazed at just how much they can make happen inside of a 20 minute episode and inside of what is effectively, you know, six or seven episode season. Um, This is a show. I say this every time I'm going to say it again. This is a show and, and it's part of the reason that I love it, where it's just epic moment after epic moment after epic moment. And it works because the music is so top notch. And it also works because the animation is brilliant. The voice acting is so well done. The direction is perfect that they really and because Voltron just you you get Voltron. You understand you're going to see a giant robot, you know, show up and everything and five lines are going to come together, etc. Uh, you know, you, you don't need a lot. You have a lot of it's like short stories. OK, with the art of short stories. In a, as compared to a novel, okay, with short stories, you can you can use not necessarily stereotypes, but you can use very simple visual cues that tell a lot of story very quickly, okay, and you don't get into the long extrapolations on things that novels would. Now, there's a disadvantage to that, to where you might not be able to be so creative as far as what you're putting on display, even though the story could still be creative. Okay, or some of the action within it can be very creative, which is certainly true with um, Voltron Legendary Defender. But Voltron really it relies on a lot of very familiar cues that you have now to where they can just go from epic moment to epic moment to epic moment, you know, uh, in in pretty short order. I mean, for for example, this is actually like if you watch Dragon Ball Z without all the uh, flickering eyebrows that would go on for five minutes, you know, Krillin's just watching his Vegeta's coming towards him and his eyebrows are flickering. He's about ready to do some kind of, you know, major energy blast. And of course it fails. But, you know, that could have happened inside of like a minute. It didn't have to take three whole episodes showing it for five minutes in each episode for you to find out what happens to Krillin, right? Well, that's the thing. Voltron Legendary Defender does this right, where it gives you all of those epic moments like you're used to with Dragon Ball Z, but it condenses them and doesn't do, doesn't waste time. And that's why you can tell so much story within, uh, you know, a short episode time frame and a short season. So it works great. Um, now, the way I, I really wished... That because one of the few adult moments from the original Voltron, you know, back in the 80s, okay, was between like where, where effectively Prince Lotor had more or less hypnotized and kind of enslaved Princess Aurora. We did not get that in this. Maybe we'll get that in future seasons because, yes, they've handled the threat of Prince Lotor, um, just like the threat of, um, you know, Zarkon is is kind of on the back burner and all this. Okay, they've handled that. But Lotor doesn't get killed. He doesn't die. Lotor's still sort of out there. Okay. So Lotor can come back and maybe we can get that story. Really, the only villain I think left now at the end of season six is Hagger, you know, and oh man, but like the ideas, the history that they laid out in the season were awesome. The history of how Lotor was trying to save. I mean, you find out he, I mean, Hagar is, is effectively, um, 
you know, she's an Altaian like Princess Aurora and, you know, Princess Aurora and the guy that controls the ship. Um, they more or less thought they were the only Altaians left. You find out no, there's actually quite a few of them. That was really cool. Uh, you know, that was a brilliant idea. And you get to see a lot of the history around that. You get a lot of the history, the alchemy that the Altaians were dealing with and how they created, um, you know, Voltron. Uh, by, you know, really needing this uh, this element or this energy called, well, it's energy and an element. It's kind of weird. It's called quintessence. It kind of reminds me of like Naquita from the Stargate, uh, you know, franchise. So anyway, this quintessence, which is this is all about, you know, he's Prince Lotor is trying to collect it and everything. And he needs Princess Allura to be able to get access to it because she has the abilities that her great father had who built Voltron, blah, 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 that, you know, can get access to it and everything. I mean, I, I don't need to give you a complete rehash of the story, but that's a lot of, of what it's about. And it all plays up like a kind of an alchemist dream, which it's interesting that Netflix is riding pretty hard on the concepts of alchemy. Uh, I think there might be a story to say around that, but I want to see where the rest of Voltron goes. And the other thing, the other great series that it, that's out there that Netflix is doing is Castlevania, which we know season two. They just recently played the, uh, or released the trailer for season two of um, of Castlevania, and it looks amazing. Uh, I'm curious to see what kind of you know black magic and alchemy is going to be you know put on display in that show. But it's interesting that that's such an element of a lot of what uh, a lot of Netflix's or at least some of Netflix's hits um, are running with. So regardless of that. Um, you know, this the search for quintessence, you finally you eventually find out what it's all about. And Lotor pretty much builds his own Voltron. So you get a an evil Voltron and then you have the good Voltron and they go to town. And that's kind of the culminating battle. And it is a badass fucking battle. I haven't seen giant robot action like this with such class and operatic style, which I guess is class since like Gundam Wing. You know, I mean, like it was it was so beautiful. Music's fantastic. The action's fantastic. Everything about it, it just is just I mean, it's stunning. There's so many beautiful little moments that happen throughout the season uh, that you just you can't you can't take your eyes off of it. It's it's really, really impressive. Uh, so I enjoyed the hell, out, you know, out of that. And the other interesting idea that I really liked about it was there. And this, this has been going on for really, I think, pretty much since about season three, where you find out that Voltron's lions have like added abilities that, you know, are just can be constantly discovered and you keep getting that. And there's some very Gundam wing moments, especially with Black Lion, where, you know, like literally wings start coming out from it and everything uh, that I thought were were stunning and well done. And it gives the show like I, I like this kind of storytelling where you're just constantly, you know, it's it's epic moment after epic moment, like I said. But then there's always this like new ability and there's always this new thing to discover that that something can do. And in fact, there's a point where they're in this where Volt where Voltron itself and, and of course, the Voltron force are in a um, like in a quintessence dimension. And Keith says you know, like, like the Voltron's more powerful than we could have ever imagined. And like, they don't even know how, how powerful it could become. And so that gives you a lot of story, a lot of story runway to go with for, I mean, the, the show could run forever. You know, the way that they've set up all of these powers and kind of the, 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 the undercurrent of how the universe operates and the history of the Galra empire and everything. I mean, yeah, this show could just keep on going. Lots of very funny moments in this. We also get a culmination with uh, the storyline of what's going on, um, you know, with with Shiro. Uh, and I mean, like that. Oh, man. 
I don't. There, there's so much to talk about with this. There's so many cool things, but you just got to watch see, the season for yourself. Um, I just thought this is probably the top season that they've done so far. Of course, it has. It's had five other seasons to build on top of. Okay, um, but there were some really funny moments, and there was even an episode that was a nice break from all the epic action, and maybe that's what allowed for the epicness to just keep going, and you know, for it to just be every second another epic moment, another epic moment, another epic moment. Um, there was some interesting, you know, as much as there was alchemy and, and what could be, you know, kind of described as magic. There was some hard science in it as well. There's a point where they're kind of going through a black hole of sorts. Not really a black hole, but they're going through some kind of magnetic anomaly, shall we say, in space. And time for Keith, as he's going through this with his mother, of all things, uh, you know, you find out passes a lot faster and allows Keith to grow up and be more of the quote unquote man that he needs to be to really be piloting black lion because he does end up taking black lion over again. Uh, so, you know, culmination of a lot of things in this again, brilliantly done uh, the storytelling, the style, all of it. It's just perfection. Um, this is, as I have said, as I said earlier in the show, and as I've been saying for a few years now or for a couple of years now, this is probably the best show on television. You know, I mean, unless we can count Castlevania, but we got to see how season two goes. Uh, but Voltron Legendary Defender, I just think it, it's just top notch. Uh, and it really, really delivered uh, this season, gave us a nice sense of closure, but also gave us a lot of possibilities of where to go from here, because now they got to build up their their, you know, galactic alliance again. It sounds like they're going to go back to Earth. Uh, all of this is stuff I can't I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. And fortunately, we get to find out within the next you know, like, I mean, as of this getting released, it'll only be 10 days uh, that we have to wait to find out what happens next for uh, Voltron. So, yeah, a lot of brilliant stuff set up, uh, a lot of closure. Like I said, um, I am looking forward to finding out more about Altaian culture. I think we're going to get that since uh, we know there's more Altaians out there. Maybe they can rebuild Altea. I don't know uh, how that's going to happen. We're, you know, we're we're going to end up getting a a new castle of lions, probably uh, th there's going to be a lot of new stuff. I am intrigued to see where this goes. As long as they don't do vehicle Voltron, I'm fine. So anyway, I will do in August. Uh, there will be a review show of season seven of Voltron legendary defender as well. And I'm going to do a deep dive into the comic books and maybe talk about a couple other interesting things about Voltron in that. Not that I'm going to do like a regular monthly Voltron update or something. Uh, if this show ran, like that regularly, I wouldn't be opposed to it because like I said, I think it's the best thing on quote unquote on television. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but as seasons come out, yeah, you better believe I'm ready to talk up some Voltron. Uh, cause I've been a fan my whole life, but Voltron legendary defender. I mean, I, you know, I didn't like all of Voltron, like Voltron and third dimension. That was great. Cause Straczynski was running that the guy behind Babylon five. Um, the, the, what was it? Voltron force that was on Nickelodeon. That was horrendous. I mean, that, that was beyond terrible. Uh, so, no, I don't just like blindly like everything Voltron. Uh, but I have been a fan. I've been watching it forever. And, yeah, I know when you watch the classics, it can be a little hard at times. But still, it's fun. I mean, and if you really want to, you go watch Beast King Go Lion, right? So, anyway, that's it for uh, this review show. Uh, this is the last episode uh, or Patreon episode for July. And then we'll start everything right back up in August. In fact, we got a hell of a Q&A coming to you because uh, got some great questions in that I just can't wait to to. to get into so that's it for this episode go check them out if you didn't watch either of the new uh, godzilla trilogy animated trilogy get on top of that now go go watch both of them uh, and i can't wait for the third one to come out and if you've yet to watch voltron man are you missing out and everybody can watch this this is a cross demographic 
uh, show, in my opinion. Like, if you're an adult, you get some of the jokes that maybe other people wouldn't get. Uh, if you are, you know, and if you're a kid, I mean, there's just so much to love. So I, I totally recommend Voltron Legendary Defender for just about, you know, for anybody. Uh, because it, it can still even be sexy if you watch it for that. And and there's very few shows that can pull off that cross-demographic angle. I think the original Batman uh, show from the 60s was able to pull that off. There's very few that can do it, though. But Voltron Legendary Defender does it. And for an animated series, that's pretty impressive. So, all right, can't wait for season seven. We'll get that review in, and we'll probably deep dive into that because I think there's going to be a lot of new revelations in it. Uh, so there you go. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side.